Sorry. I feel like I should quote Hegel to feel equally intelligent here or something, but I'm so intimidated I can't think of a clever Hegel quote. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. You've made it this long socially. Just you're stuck with who you are. There's no making yourself, no improving yourself. <laughs> well, no, but this the problem is this is me. How uh, you're again. doing your job already, dude. Yeah, yeah no, this is. But it's, are, it's me on mic. This so. is all we need you are, for. Are you employed? Uh, yes. Uh, are you are, are you abusive? Are you violent? No. Then just shut up and leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't want to get better on your own for your own reasons. Yeah, that's the fun part. And you are listening to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Jeremy, joined once again on a sweltering summer day here in Portland, Oregon, by friends and guests and co-hosts. Uh, we got another lovely topic for you, y'all, that we'll hopefully you will enjoy or at least be not bored by. Uh, we wanted to say welcome our new uh, new friend and guests, uh, new friend and guest to the show. Please introduce yourself to the viewing audience. Uh, hey, uh, Jason Lawrence. That's my government name. My parents gave me that, and I still roll with it. Uh, I don't really hide it. So uh, Jason Lawrence is good. Jason works. Uh, background. I, I was thinking about this as I was driving over. Like, how do I want to introduce myself? Um, I still want to call myself a recovering academic because I haven't been doing my my new job for a year yet. So I'm still hanging on to that part of me that I can't let go. But uh, I work with a local labor union, one of the bigger unions in the Portland area. Um, and uh, DSA member, socialist, Marxist. Uh, I roll with the Refoundation Caucus. So anyone that is hip to DSA might know which caucus that is. That's uh, for the outward Marxist. But uh, yeah, here to here to wrap on uh, why liberalism sucks and why socialism is better. There we go. And and returning co-hosts, can you please uh, state your name for the viewing audience? Hey, it's your old pal Garrett. Hello. Hello. And so Garrett and uh, Jason are here because I, I wanted to ask Jason after he was one of the speakers at the lo the recent summer day school that the local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America put on the, about what was it, like 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 ide ideology 101 or. Uh, yeah, I think I think they titled it um, Intro to Political Ideology. Um I think it actually said liberalism, uh, conservatism, liberalism, socialism, but I didn't even ad address conservatism. But yeah, if you find the old flyer on on Facebook or whatever, it'll have that title. I think yeah. And so I wanted to do effectively bring that on and like do like kind of because we've had we've been doing I want I've been wanting to do a lot more like one hundred and one like basic intro yeah. topic stuff for folks before. Um, Kind of a version of the uh, one of the reasons why, uh, like, like even like the the episode that we did last fall when uh, Jacob was in here, and we did uh, we talked to Derek Varn from Zero Books and and uh, a couple other things about you know his uh, you know advice to baby leftists, <laughs> which was dial leftism, yeah, Lenin joke for anyone. <laughs> I, I'm always wondering if I make a really sort of wonky joke is it i'm assuming it's implied right i'm assuming your audience is if well is if it, we yeah. do not react no trust me this is how podcasts work someone in the audience will mm -hmm. yes that's someone, true yeah. they will always someone out there will all even if it's a two presenter or if it's a way homer because you only get it on the way home 
I'm already hungry. The someone will always uh, always get it. Yeah, that's there's one other person that has my awkward sense of humor who will get it. That's that makes me feel. <laughs> yeah, comrades are out there. You're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're they're hiding and, behind. And they'll their probably earbuds. find you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you want them to or not. Uh, oh, I'm on the Twitterverse. I don't tweet much, but you can find me. I'm out there. Yeah, if you really wanted to tell me how um, how these guys really gave the mic to the wrong person this week, how many times have you heard that joke on this podcast? folks this is jeremy just popping in here if you like what you're hearing why not help us uh, make the show you can support us for as little as a dollar a month donated through our patreon which is at patreon.com slash giving the mic every little bit helps thanks it's a ti- it's a title that lends itself to jokes such as that <laughs> yeah. i've made a joke like that right yeah. <laughs> Well, I think Jacob's part of it's made a joke like that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, part of it was uh, uh, it was similar to how because uh, I wanted a clever title, and when I when I uh, similarly when I hosted a British TV night several in the in the Portland area several years ago, and I needed a clever title for that, I just called it Jeremy's cleverly titled British TV night, and that was literally what it was called. You can find the I think the Facebook group still exists somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted I figured because some of my musical heroes are the replacements. And so there, at some point, there's no higher aesthetic goal than, than a way to blast yourself in the foot with a shotgun <laughs> in, in, the, in the process of making your art. Because, but anyway, God, I have no idea how much of that I'm, I'm going to keep. Maybe I'll cut that and put it after the credits. That's so my like, favorite thing about podcasts is, is a listener, as a consumer, is in the middle of every pod, there's some moment where the guest or the host is like, yeah, we might cut that shit out later. Uh, <laughs> and and it's, it's always there, so you're laughing yeah. like, oh, yeah. I oh, can. I forgot. We're way too lazy for that. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah. requires, yeah, every... Yeah, what, uh, what are we doing, a radio show? <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's the people won't mind that we they, tangent they won't. for a minute. They yeah, won't. Yeah. Oh, there's podcast audience. If they like you, they've already forgiven you. Yeah. Yeah, they're here for um, they're here for something else for sure. I really need it was suggested that if to, a way to get act, to, wait uh, a way to get actual more pay, uh, patrons to the show is to start putting out little like you know cut hidden bits and like make that like Patreon only. But which I really should do one of these days. Mm-hmm. But maybe we could do like some some prank calls, Jeremy. Do you think like <laughs> like that would be a cool thing we could do? Yeah, yeah like hey, sizzle chest. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Is your refrigerator running? Nineties <laughs> kids will get that joke. So all so Rosenberg. <laughs> well, my my my, ass, my my sweaty ass nipples. R I Z Z O Frank Rizzo. Sorry, do you know they what got, we're talking about? Uh, it's it's in the reach of my mind. Oh God, my mother. She woke me up today. She threw a pan of hot grease all over my chest and my ass and genitals, and I fell down the stairs and my shoes fell off. What does that have to do with anything? The Jerky Boys got a fucking movie out of that. I watched that movie at, at that. Yeah, I, I got it at a blockbuster video. I remember the Jerky Boys, and uh, I'm trying to think of what other. Uh, this is going to be a really bad tension if we go down it. Yeah, Crank Cankers? I'll not, yeah. I just, I mean, just, I just remember. I'm thinking like, old, like Adam Sandler's comedy discs that he <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah. There was that time in the 90s where the comedy album was the shit. You know, like that was the thing you wanted to get your hands on. There was you know? a Crank Cankers where, and then we'll start talking about. Socialism. There's a crank kickers where Dave Chappelle, because you brought up Chappelle earlier. That's that's my last relevant pop culture. Yeah. Ca- called a woman um, who was running a little B and B in like Maine or something, talking about how he wanted to book the the whole B and B for the Wu Tang Clan. Twelve rooms. You must have a whole lot of people coming. <laughs> oh yeah, we on tour. We got everybody. 
<laughs> it's so fucking funny. Did you just start? Did you just start like imp- improvise? Just start coming up with like members' names or something? Or I don't remember that he does that. I don't think he does. I think every member's name he says is an actual Wu Tang Clan member name. But okay. um, but he. It's so funny because she's such a square, sweet-sounding person, and he's being totally respectful, but it's still... Really, like, he's threading the needle, like, so perfectly where it's still funny. Well, that's fantastic. Who are you with? Um, the Wu-Tang. We got we got Method Man, RZA, the Jizza, <laughs> Old Dirty Bassett, Inspector Debt, You God, Ghostface Killer, Raekwon, the Chef. Everybody's there. You down with this? Well, I tell you what, sir, I wished I could help you, but I'm not yep. big enough for that. For 12 rooms? No, I only have two rooms. I'll take that. That sounds good. Man, that guy's a master. Anyway. So yeah, we, so ideology? Yes. That was so, the topic, right? Uh, it's our attempted topic. So, yeah, with the, the sudden... Uh, explosive prominence of charismatic actual lefties like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her being charismatic and personable enough that is getting on. So all of a sudden, and people are like, hey, she's got a story. And, and surprisingly, they're, they're actually asking her political questions. And so you're getting a bunch of like... um very, you know, some, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes not so much the kind of like clueless, casual folks and media types trying to talk about this stuff. And because American uh, political media doesn't actually handle politics that well, because there's, a lot of them are just like frustrated, like sports and sports writers. Or they want to be like music journalists <laughs> right. or fashion journals or whatever. So like, you know, the actual, uh, you know, handling the whole like the whole like, you know, political content of what people are saying is a is a difficult thing. So one of the I think I did want to do is, you know, do our minor part and have you on to um to at least you know give our uh, our uh, respectable viewing audience just uh for those of uh, those of whom who are either curious or or you know long ago radicalized or even much more recently radicalized some more like proper political education yeah i think i think this question um of you know the essential question of what is socialism i think is always relevant um whether you're a longtime leftist who um, probably needs need to remind yourself every so often because you get caught in whatever's going on at the time, right? You know, the world pulls you in different directions. You know, uh, do I want to get involved in electoralism? Wait, is that is that socialist? Is that what socialists should be doing? Should we be should we be putting our our political you know uh, power or our political base or whatever you want to have or our social capital? Should we be investing this in in folks who are Profess socialists, or is socialism? Are we supposed to be outside of the electoral system? I mean, this is kind of the internal debate in DSA, right? Right. The the professed old guard, uh, or excuse me, the accused old guard, I should say. Uh, you know, are entryists, uh, reformists, uh, and there's this new guard, quote unquote, that wants to radicalize the organization, and it's the same fucking fight they've been having for forty years in socialist groups. So. Um, it's always a relevant question and always something you need to touch base on. I think, right? Well, but not, but but also alongside just the 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 topic of of electoralism, which is, you uh, would you like to give a quick definition of electoralism for the uh, for the audience? Oh, uh, 
yes and no. I'll offer one. Um, I won't say that this is my expertise or something. Uh, but uh, I mean, you're on a podcast. Uh, yeah. Never, never, ever worry about expertise. Yeah, just go uh, right ahead. Don't even I mean, say expertise. My, you know, I mean, electoralism to me just is. Uh, well, I'll try to be objective. Um, electoralism to me is the sense that that the process of politicians electing, you know electing folks is what's going to pull the general populist left and will seek that sort of traditional method of engaging civic engagement, right, in the very sort of way that we get in our high school social studies classes, right? You uh, you want to make a change in the world, you call your congressman, you want to make a really big change in the world, you run for Congress and you get the right people in there and, and, and things are going to, you know, the ship's going to steer the way we want it to go, right? Um, that's a little condescending to people who might take electoralism uh, seriously, but uh, you know that's that's kind of how I would, I would throw it out there, I guess, for conversation. Um, Good, but and but I want to say, like, alongside just straight electoralism, one of the things that I did want to did want to actually do was just help people define that you know that since at least forty years, if not longer. I mean, I read a thing that is like since like F, maybe I'm wrong. Like what is like since F, like FDR was the one who actually was kind of used the term liberal to define. You know, they're much more progressive. You know, Keynesian, borderline social democratic stuff that they were doing, whereas liberal didn't really mean that. Mm. But all of a sudden, at some point, it started getting uh, att uh, attached to this kind of um, like more, more progressive politics. And especially in the last 40 years, um, liberal became just so, uh, all of a sudden just in the very reduced, almost you know, degenerated American sense meant anyone who was not, you know, who was like, you know, not a conservative. Yeah, liberals left of center. Yeah, or right? or or just yeah. or yeah, and so Actually, me and my uh, me and my fiance, friend of the show, McKendry Thompson, uh, we were, we fight about this all the time because she calls herself a liberal, mm -hmm. and but the way she defines liberal, I would call like a liberal that's on the further left end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. and she does not like me saying that. I was like, I think there are liberal people that call themselves Republicans, like they have they have a liberal attitude yeah. towards like. The role of the state and the role of the market. I mean, I think they represent a small chunk of the Republican Party as it is constituted now. But I do think that that is a type of liberalism. But maybe I'm taking us off course. Well, bit. it's more no, of a, like a Rockefeller thing. I think there's so, varieties yeah. of liberalism. No, absolutely. I mean, it's um, uh, to use a, uh, a phrase we're all familiar with: big tent. Right? There's there's a big tent of liberalism. Um, in, in a very real sense, conservatives are the true liberals. That's your con that's your sort of tradition of liberalism that comes out of John Locke. Um, mm -hmm. When you're speaking to an audience generally in our country, in the United States, you're, you, presumptively you're speaking to a room full of liberals. They're, they're going to be somewhere on that scale. There's a right to, there's a sort of right to left of liberalism. Yeah, uh, the, the right liberal and a left liberal. Yeah. As I think Aaron Gupta said on an episode of Little Beirut, it, a lot of it comes, if, it makes more sense if you think about it from the European phrasing of liberalism, meaning laissez-faire or hands-off. Which, well, which yeah, makes more sort of economic liberalism, yeah. right? So, and and so one of the things that I did want to do was just help define, like, help draw the distinctions and even lay out for lay out for folks that you know there actually is a difference between between. And like I said, most of our American political media does not know how to use this. It's like it's either liberal or conservative. Like, what's the you know? There's only it's only it's a binary. It can't be anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's there's a difference between saying like centrist or moderate versus liberal versus progressive versus actual leftist. Yeah. And 
and socialist and everything else. And so one of the things that I did, why I wanted to have you on was just if you could, because you're the one who is actually was cursed to study this stuff. And um, teach it, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, there's the, the, the phrase liberal, it's relative to context. Um, this is the hardest thing when you're teaching uh, 100 to 100 level classes to undergrads where they have that, they come in with this, there's liberals and there's conservatives, there's left and there's right. And, and then when a, when a Marxist or a socialist or uh, anarchist or different things, when they say like, oh, well, the Democrats and Republicans, you know, your so-called liberals and conservatives, they're all the same. They're all liberals. Um, and then, you know, faces gloss over, they scoff, or, you know, they're tweeting, this dumbass just said we're the same, you know? Yeah, I know um, what liberal means, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and that's and that's because you're coming from the tradition of, of liberalism. You know, it's 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 evolving from roughly, you know, I think a lot of us would say Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan establishes a, right. what is a sense of becomes liberalism, but John Locke is, is uh, I always joke that he's the godfather of liberalism, that we get especially American liberalism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. He's, if if you talk about our founding fathers, he's he's the grandfather. Like, they, he's the one that taught those guys. Uh, I mean, Montesquieu is important, but he's less fun and interesting to read and talk about. But our political culture is a Lockean political culture still very seriously in many ways. Um, and the 20th century sort of, you start to see some some distinct evolutions in liberalism um, that really sort of did start to draw uh, two sides of the liberal coin. Um, you know, so John Dewey and progressivism and such uh, in the early 20th through the war periods. Um, uh, John Rawls's theory of justice, though, um, uh, was that 61, I think, when he put out yeah. that? Yeah. Um, that is contemporary liberalism of the Democratic Party, sort of Obama sense, I think. Um, Can we go back to Dewey for a second? Yeah, so, Dewey's fun. Yeah. So was Dewey was what informed sort of Woodrow Wilson's economic program, right? Lar yeah, large. I mean, so you know, you, uh, I think Jeremy said something about FDR being someone that sort of made liberalism what it is. I mean, liberalism as we know it was really with Wilson's politics. Yeah, okay. Woodrow Wilson was. The sort of embodiment of what liberalism came to be in many ways, I would say, historically on our political spectrum. Um, but yeah, John Dewey was um, uh, nascent liberalism is an interesting piece from him. Um, is essentially, you know, he was from the pragmatist philosophical tradition of pragmatism, um, which his sort of twist on liberalism, if you will, largely is that we're no longer a frontier country. That there's a particular sense of liberalism that has always been deep sort of in our bones as Americans, but that was a frontier liberalism, and we're no longer living in a frontier world. Uh, Frederick Jackson Turner's American frontier at the turn of the 20th century is like, by 1904, the vast majority of Americans live in urban areas. We're not a frontier country anymore. So Dewey's writing, well, Dewey was born at the Civil War and died in the Cold War, which is crazy how hmm. his 100-year life, but the heart of his work is, you know, in the 20th century, and he's saying, you know, this is absolutely what we need to be reconceptualizing our what these things that we value this individualism um, um, and, and and sort of reconstituting how we think of these things and we need a new anchor a new cornerstone it's not a not a frontier country we're an urban country we're a, a you know manufacturing country production production lines you know that's the new it's not cowboys it's the warehouse you know what I mean how do we reconceptualize our liberalism um, so yeah you know and and uh, yeah, Dewey, I mean, I think when you generally talk with people, he's one of the more overlooked um, and interesting thinkers. But um, I've only heard Dewey referenced 
uh, with regard to he had really strong opinions about public education. Yeah, he was a teacher. A lot of his and a lot of people really hate what he had to say about public education. That's all I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I've not read that st- as much of that in depth. Uh, you know, I'll be frank, but he he had a very. Uh, I mean, I think the term progressive, mm-hmm. as we would think of it, comes from sort of doing liberalism right. of, okay. of this idea of uh, more, um, you know, doing somewhere between classical liberalism and like social democracy, right? That the role, the, there's more, there's more for the state to do. And that's because there's an interest, like if we really want individuals to thrive, we have to think about individuals as members of communities and things, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to sort of reinvest in, in, in and build these different things. And education to him was key because liberalism, I think, in Dewey's eyes, um, is only an effective and positive social ideology if you have educated people who can really take hold and um, apply liberties to, to you know, right. a successful life or a, a fulfilling life or, you know, however you want to word that, um, pursuit of happiness. Given given that bit of history, can you um, I guess do some ba- some basic defining work? Yeah, like sketch yeah. Uh, sketch some uh, sketch some borders. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably uh, good to lay a foundation. So so I um, I like to give credit where credit is due. So I always taught off of this book um, from Terrence Ball and Richard Dagger. It's a textbook. It's super accessible. Political ideologies and democratic ideal. Um, but what makes this useful is that when you're talking about ideology, you're, you, you can kind of get in the weeds of what is ideology, what does this mean? But when you're looking at political ideologies, you need to have a a, a working definition of, of, of what what that is, right? So um, ideologies fundamentally do four things. There's sort of four operations to an ideology. Explanation, evaluation, orientation, and political program, because we're talking about political ideologies, right? Right. So an ideology is going to explain the world to sort of give you uh, a baseline understanding of why the world is the way that it is. Um, and then it's going to give you some line of evaluation of that explanation so that you can judge whether what, what is, is good or bad. Um, and the orientation places you as an individual within that world, the good or the bad and how it is. And then the political program obviously is um, if you think it's good, the political program is how we, conserve what we're doing, how we maintain what's going on, or how, if, if, if something's wrong, how we change it, right? So um, I think that's a really useful sort of four point, uh, it gives you like four lenses to think of different, uh, we, we tend to think, I think, of all isms as like anything that's an ism is a political ideology, right? Which I would agree, again, with these same authors that nationalism and anarchism, um, I would say, are not political ideologies. They, they devolve uh, for reasons we might that might come out in this conversation, but they devolve into other things. Usually nationalism is going to be more fascist probably in a lot of senses or, or, you know, um, and anarchism that's often the political program gets down to some sort of decentralized version of, of largely what, you know, a Marxist communism might look like or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of gives you, it narrows the playing field of, of what you're concerning yourself with in the discussion of political ideologies. But then it gives you the, again, these four, sort of pillars to say, well, any of these isms, let's fill in this blank here, right? Like, what's their explanation, their orientation, their evaluation, their political program? And then that really gives you a baseline to start comparing and contrasting. Um, So for liberalism, I think it's obvious. I mean, I think you guys could probably just start from that. Oh, explanation. Oh, the world is the way it is because of this, right? I mean, the 
the fundamental key, I think, if we're talking about liberalism, socialism, what we're going to keep coming back to in any discussion is the orientation. For the liberal, you are an individual amongst many, right? But the amongst many doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. You're an atomic, um, an atomistic individual, um, as Michael Sandel would call it. You're an unencumbered, uh, unencumbered individual. Um, the comment about yeah the uh, you know the atomistic person is you know yeah atomized by modernity uh my my philosophy professor fritschoff bergman of the name drop yeah of the new work new culture movement i guess his um his image was you know we're like fish packed in ice Fish packed in ice. Well, I'm the dumb guy, yeah. so explain that to me. Yeah, so I'm trying to. I'm, we are like distinct objects. Following, yeah, but well, distinct objects, but like separated from each other, like kind of like like it just uh, a, a, an image, because he was all you about mean in the current the current system of social relations. Is that is that what he meant? We're right. Yeah, we are atomized. We are separate. We are yes. whole okay. things. Um, you could also say you know firewalled away from each other. And uh, the, yeah, and, which is a nice uh, illusion to think about, right? That. Um, and this is central to, to sort of liberal culture, right, and capitalist culture. Um, I'm a unique snowflake. I am a very particular individual. My life is my own, and I'm in full autonomous control of it, over it. Um, and that sounds great if you're if you're winning, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, then if you find yourself not winning or struggling, it's like, oh, all moral responsibility is on myself for the conditions that I live within that I have no control over. Um, yeah, what so, is, what, yeah, it was like no one is responsible for you know you you are you are only respon- you are the one responsible for everything happening to you something something something. Yeah, and I mean, and 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 that's uh, you know that's key to the, the, a prescription from a liberal right is, oh, plastic straws are bad. Stop using plastic straws, which. Great. Granted, yes, we should not be using plastic straws, but the sense is that my individual action, I'm going to consciously stop using plastic straws, and that's going to suddenly change the overall system of production and consumption yeah. that we live in, right? You know, um, the, Yeah, the importance of the, in, in, the capital R romantic ind, individual act, the moral act. The, right. Uh, yeah. You guys dug on that a little bit with Seamus, I think, last time. Uh, to I think that's, yeah, degrees, that's uh, come up, come up yeah, a couple times, yeah. yeah. Um, you know that we're going to save the environment through individual actions, as opposed turning to turning the light off. Yeah, as opposed to admitting that environmental degradation is a direct relation to capitalist production, and the only way to really stop environmental degradation is to stop capitalist production. Right, um, it's a scale thing. Yeah, you know, um, but I mean, you know, all of this emerges. I, I think not to get super historical, but I think the important thing to remind ourselves when we're talking about ideology is that political ideologies are a a development of modernity in the sense of like historical modernity um and the enlightenment period right that uh it's really with the bourgeois revolutions of the 18th century that that you see in france uh uh ideologie i'm not even going to try to do french but uh <laughs> the, that that academics start talking about ideology as a thing right as as analogy as the study of ideas um and this is because liberalism emerges as a revolutionary ideology against the ascriptive characteristics of society prior to that, right? To, right, which was... To the church and feudalism and yeah. such, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's... So ideology comes largely with what we think of as revolutions. Um, and liberalism is a revolutionary ideology against those those systems that, that the bu- emerging bourgeoisie is trying to break 
Um, and then we get something like Edmund Burke's conservatism, which is a direct, you know, we get that from his reflections on the revolution in right. France, which trying is to, to say that, back. yeah, that no, this is, this is craziness, that there's something specific in human nature and that we need these, these ascriptive social arrangements and social conditions. Cause it's really only through this, that, that human beings or the most human beings can flourish. Um, you know, and then, you know, we get kind of into the weeds a little bit, but, but no. Socialism, Marxism arises as a critique of that, um, and and Marx and Engels are telling us, in fact, it's not an ideology. You know, socialism is a science. That's the anti-ideology. That um, we're going to point out all of the illusions and lies that rest in the ideology of liberalism and conservatism, and, and break these chains and free ourselves. You know, um, but all these discussions are very much mo modern discussions, and then fascism comes later in the 20th century, and and um, Feminism is often considered in and of itself a political ideology, which is very 20th century um, and, and, you know, it's foundational sort of ideas. Um, but you could also argue feminism is often liberalism. There's I think there's I think there's socialist feminists. And liberal well, so feminists yeah, it you know? depends on the yeah. flavor. There's yeah, definitely yeah. there's um, that's certainly a bigger tent, I think. In right. A lot of ways. Yeah. So um, I guess speeding up here, what could be the. Let's do a quick like the what you, what would be your um I don't know let's just say yeah work working definition of of liberalism positive with positive slash negative kind of um kind of connotations and ramifications from that yeah I mean I mean super simply it's it's it comes down to the orientation right that um, you are an individual um, uh, liberals direct all of our tension and our moral concern directly to the individual, right? That's our primary unit of moral concern is the individual. Um, and thus the explanation of the world is that the world is the way it is because of all these autonomous individuals making decisions and our social conditions are a result of these decisions happening all over, right? Mm -hmm. Great, uh, great man theory of history too. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a, uh, and then the evaluation, of course, is is simply well, how free as as how free am I as an individual to make these decisions? Right? Um, do I have freedom? How many? You know, it, it's kind of like a a lot of the liberal debates of freedom come down to to sort of an idea of a menu, um, the positive liberty, negative liberty. Right? Um, an easy way to think is well, if I know I want cheeseburgers and I go to a restaurant and the only things on the me menu are tacos and cheeseburgers i'm going to be happy right am am i getting you know am i free in this i'm choosing burgers and burgers are there but am i others would say i'm more free if i go to a restaurant that has tacos and burgers and and sushi and all these other things so and even though i know i want burgers i'm more free in that <laughs> restaurant because there's more options just in case i wanted something else uh, right so, yeah freedom uh, freedom is only choice that so, is a yeah. that is a fun analogy yeah uh, so you know, it, I've never heard it put that the way. The measure, the measurement of how free I am or am not is how wide are my available choices, right? My available options, and right. then again, you start to see how this masks so well with capitalism. Absolutely, right. so I think um, Fritschoff would his his thing was because he actually wrote a book called on um, on I think it was I think it's called on being free. He says, yeah, that. Um, to reduce, you know, the concept of freedom to just like choice is like great. You know, it's like offering, you know, hey, you can have you can have either veal or beef. Offering that to a vegetarian, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the liberal would say the vegetarian obviously is not free in the situation because they don't have that, uh, that option to them. Um, to which, uh, you know, actually, I'm not really sure what the socialist smart ass critique of that would be. <laughs> um, you know, but it would obviously go back to the, 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 the central idea of, of choice being freedom is, is problematic. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a good way to think of to think of liberalism. You know, I, I'm my understanding of of the world is that I'm an individual, and the world, um, the world that it is, is this res- result of individual decisions happening all over the place from autonomous people. My evaluation of the world that I'm living in is how how free am I to continue to make my own decisions, and then the political program is. If I feel like I don't have enough options on the menu, then my political program is to expand the menu in yeah. theory, right? Politician, um, give me more options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, re- re- restrict that government. I would limit like, those options. Yeah, I would like know. to try um, Bulgarian food, please. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, you get to that where it's like, oh, America is the land of the free because we have Taco Bell and Panda Express and, you know... Um, Look at this great conglomerate of all these cultural things, and you're free to sort of mix and match and choose the, the cultural things that you enjoy at a nice low price with a coupon. So what we were saying, we were talking about, yeah, the political program, the political aim was just to, like, yeah, just to emphasize just the, you know, just the, the, the individual choice, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think... And it, or to... And maybe I'm wrong about this, but or to allow more perspectives and what choices should be available. Yeah. So, like, that's what I think of, like, you know, uh, when people talk about something like like a like a liberal attitude towards, you know, um, um, a political program against racism, for example, my, I, it seems to me to boil down to something like people need to stop being racist. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, yes. and we need to give black people more choices. And it's like, of course, black people need more choices. But but it's like, like, go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, you know, but yeah, the, the racism, is, racism is the traditional Hollywood form, which are just bigoted, you know, bigoted people acting like assholes toward towards, you know, towards other people. That's racism. So if we just get rid of those, if those people weren't like, you know, outwardly bigoted. Everything would be fine, you know. Yeah, even if yeah. we even if we just you know, shame it, them into be not behaving that way, no matter what they think anymore. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Structures aren't a part of that. It's just it's, <laughs> it's individual. It's we're all. It's all about you know. It's all about you know the you know the 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 individual it, self. It is your as, your own flaw as billiard ball. Yeah, yeah as, as yeah. character. Per, uh, yeah, I mean that hits right on the head too. That this this uh, historical evolution that we we kind of already hinted at that that liberalism devolves where in in the conservative Lockean sense um it's a very negative conception of liberty that i am more free to the point that there are fewer and fewer restrictions on my behaviors and my choices and things to a, a sort of a more positive sense of liberty where the question of freedom is actually what am i free to do so where the classical liberal uh, of a lock um of, a, of our founding fathers uh as, as they are known is um freedom from right what am i free from free from free from these ascriptive social hierarchies and institutions that gave me a glass ceiling right Right. freedom from fear freedom from hunger freedom (laughs) from worry freedom from debt or yeah and then we we get to a more contemporary sort of rawlsian sense um of what am i free to do so liberals now will say oh well let's be honest uh, this bootstrap thing sounds great mr speaker ryan but uh, a lot of us aren't born with bootstraps so we need to find some way to start to provide 
at least a few more pairs of bootstraps yeah, to people. We need to um, give people bootstraps. Yeah, yeah, you know. So so the 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 conditions, uh, the obstacles that 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 sort of um, uh, a good way to think of this is like classical liberalism uh, and what is often th- thought of as um, egalitarian liberalism or welfare liberalism. But is this? There's new obstacles, right? There's new struggles. So it's it's race, it's gender. It's class to a degree um, that gets we'll get to that with socialism, how much liberals really care about class. But there are these things that we can no longer ignore that we have to have things like affirmative action programs. Right. Mm -hmm. That allow individuals again. And this is just particular individuals um, more opportunities. But because in this abstract sense, we've opened up more opportunities for some indeterminate number of individuals, we have expanded the menu of options and we are improving freedom. Right. so it's what am I free to do? You know, for an egalitarian liberal, am I free to actually pursue life, liberty, and happiness? You know, um, or not? And and that's a great positive step and adjustment forward. Um, but again, it worked really well for our culture and our country, particularly in the post-war years, where everyone else was decimated, and, and you know, the the bur- the middle class boomed and you know 70 percent of workers were in labor unions and everyone had a pension and a you know and a four right. in a driveway and such but well, um, right they were benefiting from an explosive economic system that they actually didn't i mean they created by through their through their individual participation in but there were there were forces that 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 you know there were enough resources available for example enough consumers and um shit i'm not saying this the best way i would like mass to production and mass consumption yeah fordism well, that there was a, you know, that 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 capitalism has an arc, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and they were at a kind of a high point of the arc, and uh, and we kind of thought, well, this is going to be, this is the way it's going to go. This is our new plateau, so mm-hmm. to speak. When really, yeah. it was just that it was just the top of the. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, um, I don't think I, I want to let the the racism example go though, um, because like you said, that that's. Um, it, to the liberal racism, the problem with racism is individual bigotry, individual right. prejudice, right? Which ignores the fact that racism is a systemic issue. Obviously, mm-hmm. right? It's not about uh, you know if white people just stop saying the N word out loud, things will get better. It's it's that that racism is institutionalized and it's deeply embedded in everything. All of our social interactions, all of our social institutions have it in there. And no amount of individual choices are going to change those institutions, right? Right. Um, and that's where I think the, the socialism, you, you can really start to um, compare and contrast and, and see the obvious differences between socialism and liberalism is that socialism is a systemic view, right? We're looking at the overall overarching systems of social relations and, and social production and, and economic production and such. Um, yeah, a uh, a great book which has been re- which has been recommended on this very topic like three or four, two or three times in the show. In fact, is uh, a collection of essays called Racecraft by Barbara and Karen Excellent Fields. Book. Excellent. Which is out by Verso Books, which means you can get it real cheap because they have sales on it about like every two months. Yeah, that 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 book is life changing for me. Like it it totally re- readjusted my thinking about race and right and about yeah about how it's, it's this, top, yeah, yeah it had very a very historical and very commercial origins right. there's also uh daniel denver does a podcast called the dig that we've re- that we've recommended before did a great extended interview with barbara and karen fields on the on the dig podcast that i will link to in the show notes about this very topic where they go on and they kind of um 
they they uh, they kind of they help me explicate it. They get into it. So a big thing that that we're going through right now as socialists that are associated with DSA, right? is that larger larger numbers are coming to our ranks that are trying to decide if they're progressive liberals or if they're socialists and what that means, right? And where those distinctions are. Bernie Kratz or what, beyond. What the differences are. And a lot of them are probably at least Rawlsian. Which yes. means? Which means, um, say, uh, so we can get into that and say, like, so this might be the, if we want to go into that, like, here's Rawls in a nutshell, so what makes you, like, for newer members, right, or folks coming in this discussion, is there sort of socialist curious, do I want to go, am I cool with Rawls, or do I accept the critiques, and do I want to go that next step left, and then potentially the next step left, and so forth. Because right? Right. I feel like we can work with Rawlsians to a certain degree, don't you? you can, I, think I think it's necessary, probably, if you're being really realistic, it's probably necessary to, um, this is something that I'm admittedly grappling with as a Marxist is trying to find ways to not be the guy standing on my soapbox screaming the purest you know Marxist revolution and realizing that myself at probably 24 or 25 would have been like yeah Rawls is a shit in fact like some in somewhat ways was I think like, I, I was, was I was blown away yeah. when I read it I was like this is I mean there's a reason this it's the I would say it's these one uh, of the founding documents yeah I mean I would say it's the most important book in political theory discussions since Hobbes' Leviathan. Like that's Yeah, you'd go that far? Wow. I would, yeah, because it, it completely reshaped the game. Everything that's been written in the last 50 years has been in some way, shape, or form. There, Rawls is the footnote to the right. footnote to but, the footnote. But you're not, you know? including, you're not including capital. Uh, I, mean, you, I, mean, I mean, so this might yeah. be more academic than I, than I Academically, understand. Academically, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, because there are way more people... Even in the academy, and, and and some of my friends who might listen to this might yell at me, but Marxists are rare in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, right? I see what you know you're what saying. I, mean? I, I misunderstood. But everyone, no matter. You were talking about actual importance. You meant academic importance. Or just yeah, just yes. like like everything. Like he changed the conversation so much. It was yes. like, oh wait, I don't have to even fuck with Marx anymore because here's this nice left of center alternative that I don't have to go as far as being radical yeah. and revolutionary. I don't have to be because Rawls fixed. Like I already liked all these things. I can still have my Volvo. And yeah, whatnot. but Rawls yeah. fixed it. I can drive my Prius and feel good about who <laughs> right. I am and what I'm doing because I'm not a racist. And I'm and I don't use plastic straws, and I drive a Prius, and I don't mind paying high, higher higher rates rates of taxation living in Portland, Oregon. Right? You know, um, I'm trying to figure out how to st- how to figure out how to structure this. I have no idea how to, how how to structure half our episodes anyway. So you know, th- you know, people still like the show, and we don't do any planning, Jeremy. That's so. true. <laughs> we plan. We actually did plan there a little were, bit for this There show. were messages traded in exchange, right. and Jeremy and I have seen each other at other events and briefly talked about it. Yeah. The but one of the things is give it ex- um, when you're talking about again newcomers uh, and there it's one of those things where yeah more and more people are kind of you know we are again that's one of the things I've been talking about for like what what two years now whatever however long we are rediscovering old lost and neglected and kind of like vital political tendencies and trends mm. that were deliberately kept out of acceptable political talk, American uh, modern political talk and speak and, you know, accept, um, you know, proper, you know, polite American society. 
We are rediscovering whole shitloads of, of, and like, you know, all past battles and past whatnots, you know, rediscovering this information. And so I think it's like, it's, it's extremely critical that we, that we pour almost endless, endless, endless energy into making this into like on ramping as many people as possible, making this shit as easy as possible. Cause it's like, you know, once people have the, you know, get that little twing, you know, they get that urge that, okay, Hey, wait a minute, this is bullshit. You know, and want that answer that, um, that they can, you know, that they can take the correct on ramp to something better as opposed to being radicalized by assholes on some on, on like 4chan or Reddit or God knows fucking what. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I want to say, it talks about like, you know, people coming who might be DSA curious. Can you get it? What would it, what would using modern American example, political parlance, whatever example, what would a, like a, a Rawlsian or, uh, you know, related to John, John Rawls, friend of the show, heard from the last last couple episodes. Um, what would a shouts to John Rawls? Yeah. What would so given it? Can you give an, Can you describe or give an example of someone coming, you know, who might be coming to DSA with from like the more John Rawls point of view, I guess. Give an example of what that perspective might be oh yeah or describe it yeah, 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 yeah color that color yeah. that in a little bit so so back to the sort of obstacles question john Rawl, a Rawlsian is going to say that we aren't these individuals that sprout from the ground like cabbage patch kids is already constructed fully formed personalities and individuals that are then free to sort of navigate that world without restrictions and limits right um Rawls and Rawlsians understand the the lottery of the genetic lottery the class lottery you know you you can't choose who your parents are and you can't choose what social systems oppressed and repressed your parents and place them in a place in a position that made it harder for them to provide opportunities for you right um so again we're trying to open expand the menu for these people right mm-hmm. so you can read Rawls and you can find yourself in a very western european social democracy situation right where we should tax the rich at higher levels than we do in the united states and we should provide that funding back into social programs that allow these people who are losers in the sort of genetic lottery of who they're born, where they're born and how they're born and who they're born to and provide them the same opportunities that the, you know, Protestant, white, cis, male, heterosexual guy gets, right? You know, right. Um, and, and I think, so I think it's, I mean, Bernie, if, if you're critical of Bernie Sanders, he sounds like a Rawlsian. It's just social democracy, right? Um, Bernie's not. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I wasn't a Bernie bro, um, but uh, I've never. I've personally never heard Bernie talk about the overthrow of capitalism. Right? Um, there's he. He goes at least as far as reform in a way, maybe, but not just like revolutionary, radically. Get no, rid of he's not. He's not a like. Yeah. A Mar- I don't hear a Marxist. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but know? he's also been an American elected f- official for. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like yeah. so. Whatever. Yeah. At this point, it's like his. He knows how to phrase whatever it is, and maybe he's he's um, been institutionalized enough that he's not going to start. You know. Yeah, I, I'd yeah. be willing to believe that in his heart, he's a he has a Marxist critique. I would but, think so as well. But yeah. he he espouses market socialism, which is far left in our in our absolutely. Yes, I'm saying yeah. If I'm a system. if I'm a you know late teens, early 20s, undergrad sitting in an intro to political theory class in 2015, and I read John Rawls, and I'm like, hey, this doesn't, this sounds pretty good. Wow, this is a really tight argument. He's, it's, you have to read and chew on Rawls for years and years and years to really start to point out some of the bigger holes, I think. Um, or to fucking even care, you have to probably be in grad school to go that far. <laughs> but, 
if you read Rawls and you're thinking, this is a liberalism I can get behind, right? This isn't Paul Ryan and, 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 and Rand Paul and this bullshit conservatism of the GOP, right? This is a liberalism that, that sounds like Obama, but even a little more in some ways. And then Bernie you know, bursts onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm going to fucking get all on Bernie's yeah. you know, bandwagon, right? Um, but I, I think you know, some ways to, to really um, – shouts to the Black Socialists of America – Guys who handle their Twitter account. Yeah, that's a good account. They're, oh, yeah. the, they're the, from my limited access to the external world outside of Portland and my route and everything at work, um, they are always hounding on what I think is fundamentally important is that understanding capitalism as a mode of production. And I think when you break that down, then you get, like, I think this is the discussion that we have to have with socialist curious and new, new newcomers kind of coming could, into the ranks. Could you explain mode? Yes, I think because I feel like that's a confusion that I. Like that's a, yeah, I think yes. that's part of things. Like we're 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 so fucking stuck on nineteenth century continental philosophy seize jargon. Seize the means of production. Yeah, um, and yeah. There's, there's means, there's and then there's mode, and there's, there's needs and relations. Means and relations, mm-hmm. and those together make the mode. Oh, um, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, so so the easiest way to think about this, and I'm totally cribbing, f- flat out just plagiarizing the way that Richard Wolf does this, because um, mm-hmm. it was taught to me friend of the show uh, it was taught to me in a very similar fashion and then you see the way he's continuing to do it uh with his uh, somewhat incredible access to, to outlets right now um yeah, he's great but you know uh, so all all production right all capitalism making the, shit the equation is el plus ll equals tl um which is just to say that production begins with stuff right someone has stuff i want to make sneakers so I go out and I accumulate the stuff to make sneakers, the materials, the the the, the technology required to do it, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. So you okay? And, so you have you have rubber and you have leather and you have thread. Yeah, and other synthetic things and a bunch of other stuff in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. And God the machine, the, the the sewing machines or whatever it is, and the hot glue guns and whatever holds it all together. Right. I have all that stuff, right? That's my Somebody stuff. made that stuff. Yeah. That's my so, best Richard yeah. Wolf so impression. There's embodied labor in that EL, right? That all that none of that stuff just like cabbage patch kid out of the ground and was it, right? Yeah, so, somebody but, had to ta- somebody had to so there's, had to tap the uh tap the rubber tree and yeah. just hand the leather. So there's other labor that have been has been involved in the production of these things, but I have them. And the economists don't care about how I got it. You know, the, yeah. There's no history. Either. It's haves or haves nots. Like we're not going to worry about Marx's uh, primitive accumulation of capital. The question is just, do you have it or have not? This is how economics is taught. To no, us, you're right. right. You're you know? absolutely right. This yeah. is your senior. At least when I we're all the same age. I think we had to take economics as a senior year class, right, to mm-hmm. graduate high school. This More is how econ's taught to us. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had AP econ, but I barely. I don't. Econ shit was like you know pick you know pick stocks in the paper. Yeah, we did that bullshit. Oh, I never did that. Too. Yeah, I, yeah. Never, I had the I had the chillest econ professor. He got it. He was like, this is all kind of. There's no real <laughs> economic laws. He actually did like the yeah. The yeah. Well, I had like, something like that a little yeah. bit more too. Yeah, but we did the bullshit like <laughs> my, my, follow your stocks. I was like, I'm from Indianapolis. Dude. Like, I'm buying Ford. <laughs> I'm Ford a, stock. Uh, boom. I'm from Flint. We brought G, we bought GM. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, my my AP econ uh, teacher. Um, Mr. Bagley, I think his name was. Oh God, don't ask me names. <laughs> he no. The fun thing is, he taught my dad at the same high school thirty years earlier. Nice. And back then, because okay. his voice yeah, was yeah, a lot yeah. higher, they called him Tweety Bird back then. There you go. 
So, yeah, this is how those Bagley's taught us, right? Um, it doesn't matter how you got the stuff. You just have the stuff. The haves or have nots is very real. So EL plus LL, living labor. These are us, the laborers who come into the system now. And we take all that stuff and we make it into the sneakers, right? Um, and then the output, the TL, the total labor, is the embodied labor that was originally put into the value of the stuff that the capitalists owned plus the living labor, my labor that maximized or produced and increased the value of it to the total labor, right? Right. And then that's the stuff, you know, that's the sneakers that are sold at $110 per pair of Damian Lillards or whatever, right? Um, Unless you get them from Ross. Yeah, unless you catch them six months later from Ross at seventy bucks, right? Which I've actually done that, so that's cool. Uh, I get I get New Balance for like forty bucks from there. there so yeah. yeah. So so the 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 importance of this is is um, in the LL and the living labor part of this, right? Um, I as a laborer, this this notion of uh, I'm going to get paid what I'm worth. I, you know, I'm out of grad school now. I'm moving back to Portland. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a fucking job. It's going to be great. I'm going to take care of my kids. It's going to pay me what I'm worth. That's not how capitalism works. If you're going to pay me $20 an hour, that's because I'm probably producing $200 an hour in, in, in value, right, and wealth. So the LL is actually broke down to necessary labor and surplus labor. I'm paid the necessary labor. I'm paid by the capitalist the necessary amount of money to allow me to socially reproduce myself and my family. And all of the rest, the living labor, is the profit for the, for the employer, right? And this is the thing that, again, Wolf, is he's really great in his – style and charisma and, yeah, can... and, and, and accent and everything, but... So we're going to start this way. Every act of production makes use of some kinds of tools, equipment, raw material. Whatever. For example, let's use a chair as an example. If you're going to make a chair, you need some wood and some glue and maybe some nails and a hammer, and you, you get the idea. And all of those things that are used in production were made by human beings, labor, that's now available for us to use to make more things. Somebody did work a while ago to make the hammer, which I'm going to now use to make the chair. Somebody a while ago put together whatever needed to make the glue that I use and to cut the trees into the lumber that I use. And so we're going to use a simple EL, embodied labor. Every production makes use of embodied labor, labor that's embodied in some product that was done earlier that's now an input to what we're doing now. Basically simple idea. Here comes another simple idea. With this embodied labor, labor embodied in all the tools, equipment, and raw material, production involves the addition of living labor, the worker, you, him, her, the people working. So we're going to call that living labor. Embodied labor plus living labor gives you the total labor in whatever we produce in an economy. It's real simple. Okay? You can say it in other words. There's the value of all the stuff we use up when we produce. Tools, equipment, and raw materials. And then there's the value added by the worker who uses those pieces of equipment to transform the raw material into the final. So this is nails, glue, lumber. This is the chair maker's effort. And the outcome is the chair. Okay? This is very simple. Another thing that's the, the sort of fun way that we're taught this is that the, the capitalist is the giver. 
the job provider, the, the job creator, the job creator, the vaunted. We're the takers. We take from his bit. His, yeah. We take what trickles down to us, right? Yeah, but his, the reality his, is, his life essence, his life yeah. essence and greatness, his the granting us this boon of yeah. this of uh, you know showing up at a place and sitting in an office yeah. or a shop. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, yeah. God, yeah. God bless you for taking the stuff <laughs> that you own and allowing me to produce it into something that's more valuable. Right, like we're the givers. Our labor produces the value, produces the profit that that the taker takes. Right, um, and that's the that's that's the capitalist mode of production. Is that the someone owns the means, and the relations are such that I get just enough to socially reproduce and physically reproduce myself, but nothing more. Right. Yeah, just enough to stay alive and. Uh... Right. Yeah, and so. And so when you look at this equation and you break this down, you know, like the the necessary labor is a little bit that I get, the pennies that I get, and the, the surplus labor goes to all these other things in our world, right? The capitalist, you know, funds politicians to continue to re- keep my taxes low, and I do a little bit of bullshit philanthropy because I can put my name on the business school of the University of Oregon, right? Um, or I'll fund some local baseball teams, like little league teams, you know, mm-hmm. that makes me a paramount standout figure in my community, right? Pillar of the community. You know, um, some, of it, some of it goes to taxes so that if somebody tries to mess with the stuff that I own, I can call them and then I call these people and they come and they beat up people and stop them from taking my stuff, right? But then the rest of it goes to management and this and this and this and then reproduction will come blah, blah. blah. So the so, so socialist and the liberal look at this differently. The liberal looks at this relationship and says, this relationship is fine because it's all individuals having free choices to decide when and where to participate in these relationships. And the socialist says, this is exploitative and this shit has got to stop right now. Right. There's no reason that these large companies or small companies for that matter that the, that all of this wealth is created by the mass, the numbers, the large numbers of the laborers, and then, you know, for corporations, this nice little group of 10, 12, 15 people on the board of directors gets to decide what to do with all of the millions and billions of dollars that the rest of us and our labor created, right? And that's the socialist. The socialist that says democracy isn't – this is what Marx gets at, and you know, we get a little academic here. Marx is um, on the Jewish question which was a response to Bruno Bauer's essay that was entitled on the Jewish question. But Mm -hmm. Marx is here saying that political political emancipation is cute, that this constitutional formal equality, we're all free to pursue life, liberty. That's that's great. That sounds nice. But that's not liberty and emancipation, right? And so democracy to a socialist isn't that. I get to go choose every four years between, you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, which I could give a fuck less about either one of these people, right? Democracy is... Hey, real democracy would be, you know, all that work I did for the last 365 days, I have some say in what the value, where the value of that goes, right? right. It's, it, that's, that's, that is a core thing of socialism. And it's through that understanding that we, we change the relations so that the means are less important and the whole mode changes, right? And then that's what is revolution. Like, like, I mean, if the further you go into this, you know, if, if you had, if we had more time, but what makes a socialist a socialist and a liberal liberal is that the socialist is not looking to reform or tweak capitalism, make capitalism good, make capitalism green. The socialist understands that capitalism has to go. It has to go. Socialism is the overthrowing of capitalism. It is in the, 
in historical materialism, it is the next step beyond capitalism, right? It's something new, it's something different, radically revolutionary, different. And this is where our internal fights are. That is a social democrat, or excuse me, yeah, social democrat, the same as a socialist. And the answer is no, because social democracy still places all of that EL in the private hands and ownership of a few. We tax them higher, so the so the surplus labor is a higher number for the worker, and more of the the uh, excuse me, the necessary labor is a little higher for the worker, and more of the surplus labor is put back into social programs and such, but. In a really, well, we're talking about reducing that. Uh, um, not what was the 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 opposite of necessary labor. The other component, surplus labor, surplus the, the surplus labor, oh, fucking surplus. Yeah, like I couldn't remember surplus yeah. labor. God damn it! It makes uh, it's a lot easier when you're like writing it. Yeah, <laughs> so, we need we uh, we need Mark. We need Mark. Actually, there actually is like the illustrated a, a bunch of. I have like eight books of like Mark's comics over there. Yeah, but, there's yeah. a great video of Richard Wolf talking Richard about Wolf this. Is, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to cut in like more than a little bit of his uh, his lectures <laughs> into this. I mean, in, we intercut that in into uh, into and out of. But the surplus, like like really, the 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 situation should be surplus labor should be done away with. Essentially, it should all. Yeah. Uh, well, the surplus labor is going to be there because we're still laboring and increasing the value of right. the stuff, but. The socialist says that the workers get to decide what to do with that. Yeah, where it goes. To, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, and, and, and social democracy, you know, what, the interesting thing about social democracy is that really when you increase those regulations and such, you just like this is why capitalists are happy in Europe because you actually you make capitalism more efficient. Yeah. You know, it, and whenever, there's whenever, no too big to fail in Switzerland, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not fucking up like AIG did here, you know. Oh, right. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, right. you're actually, there's a little more, that there's more than the the board of directors of 10 or 12 people have more rules on the decisions they can make. So it so actually the, maximizes and it makes more efficient mm-hmm. the process of capitalism. And right. David, Harvey, David Harvey's Brief History of Neoliberalism, you know, he talks about this, how actually uh, Nazi Germany to, to a degree, right? Fascism actually works great with capitalism. Right. There's an exclusive group of people. Everybody else can go fuck themselves, and you really maximize the capitalist process, right? Right, you know? and, it, and, it, and it helps increase the popularity of your party when you force forty to 80,000 people who were living in certain places and in certain ghettos onto trains to go work for these people without wages. Right. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. yeah. If if the term social democracy is kind of a new thing to you, just think like think like New Deal, Great Society, mm-hmm. like FDR, LBJ, Welfare State. Yeah. Um, yeah. Think New Deal. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's that's Rawls and that's egalitarian liberalism, liberalism or welfare liberalism, um, largely. Yeah. Yeah. And the socialists. So that's where the, the Rawls, these Rawlsian types will be drawn to a big tent organization like DSA because they're welcome here. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we welcome these comrades. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there are a, a growing number of us that want to pull those folks a little further left. I mean, that's where I feel. We don't want to just reform this and make things a little bit better, but we want to radically change it. Well, you want to yeah. hand them that systemic critique, right? Because yeah. that's when yeah. I look at Rawls, that's what's missing. There Absolutely. Is, there is. This is the world. We have to accept it as it is. And this is the way we can make it this the is best, best, is, the best it can it be. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the shiniest this turd can get. Absolutely. And... Yeah. And 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 it's like no, like and that's why they listen to economists so much because economists have a structural 
analysis. Paul Krugman is fucking awesome if you're a liberal. Yeah, right? exactly. Like he's, you know, he's and he's like kind of cool because it's like he will actually say something critical yeah. every once in a while, or he'll show up and get him to the Greek. Hey, Paul Krugman. Uh, yeah. My dad loves your shit. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does he say in that? Oh boy, or something. Yeah, like he that. says, "Oh boy," and get in the Greek, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great film. It and MacGruber were the two funniest films of 2010. But until liberalism can produce an actual systemic analysis, like I don't know what good it is. You know what I mean? Like that's really where I come down. Yeah, and then you know the the question, of course, is can it produce a systemic analysis when its focus is the individual? Right. That that, that if if we're all properly moral Kantian individuals the system will work great because I'm not going to be making poor decisions, right? Right. I'm going to be making ethical decisions and moral decisions, you know, but, you know, and that's, you know, and, and, and Rawls gets into certainly the maxi man principle, the difference principle, all these mm -hmm. things, you know, to try to incentivize in some ways, I think those decisions, um, and, and, but, but knowing that not everyone's going to make those decisions. So you have to have some rules in place to account for, the Bezos of the world, you know. Um, right. Which is, yeah, know what to do with him as a whole other topic. Maybe I can throw out a last second thing to chew on. Okay, yeah. Until the next time. So, um, so historically, we talk about the historical development of ideology as a thing, as a concept. And Marx and Engels come in and say, socialism is not an ideology. Socialism is a science, right? Right. And the reason that that is, is because if you go back to that understanding of the, the black and white reality of capitalism as a mode of production, Marx and Engels or Marxists following them don't think that we don't think we're doing something that that you have to buy into here, right? This is where people get critical of Marx because there's not a lot of ethical writing and there's no mm -hmm. morality or ethics in this. And he's, and I think, you know, to put words in a brilliant man's mouth, but what the fuck do ethics matter when it's obvious you're being fucked over? Yeah. I don't have to talk about how unethical it is that you're being fucked over. You should just realize I'm being fucked over and I want to change this. You know what I mean? So what gets interesting is, is you, even as we sort of parse out, here's, here's a couple of lenses to critically to uh, identify differing political ideologies, but then it gives us pivot points to critique them. Is socialism a political ideology? I think, I think in practice it certainly is. Yes. But so the question is, but to, to the originators, the founders of this, Marx and Engels would say, I don't care about ideology. I'm not trying to convince you. This isn't something you have to believe in. This is like science, right? Like the Neil this deGrasse the Tyson. Works, yeah. yeah, scientific versus utopian. Science is great because it, you know, no matter it's true whether or not you believe in it. The capital <laughs> production, as the T-shirt and bumper sticker and meme <laughs> says. I actually have that Neil deGrasse Tyson hoodie, so I won't go there. Well, but, I was, but no, yeah, it's like that's. The, but Marx and Engels would say this, it's cute if you don't believe me, but the fact is that this is true, yeah. whether or not you believe it. Yeah, the facts don't care about your feelings. Um, <laughs> you know, and that gets interesting into our our debates of ideology because we're it's like you try to go up a level to socialism levels and broadly but then you go back down to that messy level of conservatives and liberals and democrats and republicans it's like the socialist is like you're all just feeding yourselves a bunch of lies mm -hmm. right so the socialist inevitably as a, as an ideology that is critical of the hegemonic ideology is inevitably talking about you think you see truth but 
you don't see the truth. Yeah, right? I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. I already am eating from the trash can all the time. The name of this trash can is ideology. You know, you wind up becoming the dude who say posts Facebook comments that are a little bit too long, and you bring up ter- you you. Jeremy's looking at me. Bring by up, the way, you bring up term. Okay. You, you, you know, you, you, you any person probably. It was like you bring yeah, you bring up terms like uh, you say the phrase you know ideological construction in regular work meetings. Um, <laughs> you you encourage your workmates to go you know to watch this one John Carpenter movie and, and learn about the thing called ideology, <laughs> and they're yeah. like yeah, there's this thing called sour this movie called sour. Sorry to bother you. You should go see it. It's really, really good. It's really funny. Oh, dude, I look like such a kook at my workplace. And I work at a touchy-feely nonprofit, you know what (laughs) I mean? But I was going to say that kind of piggybacking on what you were just talking about, that's that's kind of what it boils down to to me is is this notion that like like when Marx when Marx, you know, described feudalism and how it worked and how we transitioned from feudalism to capitalism. Like no one's gonna argue for fe- well, I want to say that, but then it's like no, <laughs> like Silicon Valley it, people are like, hey, no, I, they they keep me at work all the time, yeah. and I love it. I've got a ping pong dude, table, dude. And, go see, uh, uh, go. I would say, go see. Uh, sorry to bother you. It's called Worry Free. Yeah. I forgot that's actually playing. I need to go. I need to go watch. Yeah, it's it's it no, it's it's the Laurelhurst got to go on. Yeah, it's yeah. like I said, it was great. Um, I need to convince my special lady. No, it's great. No, it you go me. see it. It, it we'll see it because it's fucking funny. It is. Like I said, it's 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 like Repo Man. It's like it it's it's way beyond anything like Office Space would want to do. It's the um, um, you have like you it literally depicts salting in a film, which I think oh, for like the first okay. time ever. Nice. I did not know that was in it. I just heard it was amazing. But shouts to Boots Riley though. The other day, that he was guy on is cool. Democrat Democracy Now. How does Sorry to Bother You fit into that picture of organizing? I mean, it must be very interesting for you as a well-known anti-capitalist artist and organizer. To communist. Na- communist Marxist. I to- don't know. Marx, didn't he say something like, I myself am not a Marxist? <laughs> <laughs> so... Name. She just, called him an anti-capitalist. Yeah, he's like communist. Let's just be no, clear. Like, like, said, I'm the, a no, communist. The, like, let's just not fuck around with it anymore. Right? No, the, I'm a the, communist. The, let's the, be honest the, about it. It's not dirty or crazy or scary. Yeah, no, the clip of him on fucking Politically Incorrect in 2002. At the same time as they're doing this, saying that it's for security reasons or whatever, in New York, they're not, not going to let protesters wear masks. And the reason that they wear masks is because they're scared to death of the police out there. They're scared that they're going to get a visit in the middle of the night. You know, even though this is supposed to be the land of the free, you know, you'll get your picture taken and they'll surveil you, things like that. People need to wear masks to protect themselves from the police, and they're making them but you're making not enormous, wear masks you're make, or else they'll you're get arrested. But you're making enormous jumps. Full on. I mean, he's see, just a baby. Yeah, he's like, he was 31. He was still just a rapper then. Yeah, no, he just full on, like, they're like, well, you know, it's against human nature. He's like, no, fuck y'all. It's, you know, this is, and just, you know, just bringing this against the rest of the panel. And yeah, that's my, that's the other thing that the, the, op, the, uh, looking at ideologies and thinking of it as an agent that seeks goals and what obstacles are in the way. The fundamental to that is looking at how how each of these ideologies define the contested concepts of, of human nature and freedom. And uh, if the only, the best contemporary pop culture reference that I could give, if we talked about it, would be um, looking at like Dolores and Maeve in um, 
Westworld, I think, would be my. my I still have yet to see an episode. Of okay, it. yeah, yeah. So that so that may not resonate internally, but folks that might listen to it would, would make sense. But yeah, I mean, the, the liberal looks at looks at the world and says, "Oh, well, individuals are rational, self interested, and competitive. That's in our human nature." And the socialist says, "You only think that way because of the social relations to which you know the material conditions with the, with which you live. You know, want you to think yeah. that that's what we are, and they want you to act that way." One yeah. of one of the great yeah. pains of my life, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, is that I'm not like that. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And I've been taught to feel like I'm shitty because I'm yeah. not like that. You right. know, I'm not competitive. I'm really not. Like, How dare I'm, you not be competitive and trust people? Yeah, and, against, you know. which again, it's kind of there's there's. I don't want to say it literalizes it, but that, that that comes up in the in the film again. And all I got to say about the film is um, it's oh, it's getting a lot of comparisons to Get Out because both mm-hmm. are you know like black genre fix plus in the fact that um, Laketh I think the key, the, the the lead actor of mm-hmm. Sorry about it, is yeah. he he plays he is the uh, he's also in Get Out he's the guy in this in the guy in the straw cap. Get out. Sorry, man. Okay. Get out! Yo! Yeah. Yo! Shoot, get out! Get out! Get out! Right. Which I did not know until I, I watched later. That and either, like, oh my god, is him, isn't no, it? No, yeah, because he's yeah, because he's. But it's think of him, the guy's like you know, uh, get I out, guess, get out, motherfucker. Yeah, because he's the, so square. I, I say, in this movie, he's got like the goatee. And, yeah, and the hair. Uh, his, the hair is longer. Yeah, but it's yeah, out of the hat. Um, yeah. Get out is uh, get out is a more successful genre exercise because Jordan Peele spent years making little like five minute genre exercises. But I think Sorry to Bother You is more relevant and hits harder. Okay, cool. It's harder message. It is a, a little bit more. It is more uneven. There's some stuff that is definitely like th- I think they cut too much, mm-hmm. or they do not explain or develop as much as they should. But the message is, it's definitely worthwhile. It's one of those things where if there's a, re- it's one of the things that, that I wanted to like schedule like a, like a chapter like movie out. It's like yeah, we really we all really need to see this. Yeah, I want to see it this week. So so we recommend. <laughs> yeah. Getting off our asses and finally going to see the movie. To be continued on the next episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Socialism, right? So, what would Chappelle think about it? Yeah, well, he's been a, well, he's been a multimillionaire for about <laughs> almost twenty years now. So, um, I think his his uh, his his view of things have probably changed. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I'd but, be um, curious to have him on a discussion like this to see what what's there. Um, yeah, I, I and I still haven't seen his couple of recent Netflix things, so um, I don't know. I know I heard he had some bad trends. Uh, humor, so I've been kind of hesitant yeah, to, I heard to watch too. it. Um, but uh, I've what, seen him live a number of times, so I'm a total hypocrite, I guess. I love him, but well, th- th- remind me of the time when he uh, when he was r- when just the rumor of him appearing at Pioneer Square Park Blocks or Pioneer Square, wherever. Yeah, yeah. And it had like over a th- and this was a t- this was a Tuesday a Tuesday night in the summer of like '09, mm-hmm. and you had like 
of like 2,000 people there, and I was one of them until I got bored and left. That's another story. Anyway, well, we went and saw a block party. You remember that? That's true. We saw a block party at And the, that was a hot day, too. Speaking of hot days. The film block party that yeah. you did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, saw, we yeah, saw that yeah. in the theater, and yeah. it was the first opening weekend, and it was yeah. just wall to wall. Yeah. It, was, it was a big party in the mm -hmm. theater. It was a lot of fun, actually. It was good. He, uh, he did a live tour as... Season two of Chappelle Show was airing. I remember that. To, uh, I was so fellow Midwesterner. I'm, I'm from Indianapolis originally. I was at Ball State University in Muncie at the time, and he came through and, and played the big auditorium there. And he came out on the stage, and it was probably three or four minutes of, yeah, what? And he's like, motherfuckers, I've seen the show. Can you just shut the fuck up? I got jokes I want to tell. Yeah. yeah. And then his first joke is, uh, so your school's called Ball State. Did I get that correct? Uh, I'm not going to go there. And, and but then from there, it was amazing. But uh, I yeah. saw uh, Mitch Hedberg like about three, four months before he died. Are you familiar with Mitch Hedberg? Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Seems some of his stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it was awful. And oh, yeah. it was because of that, because everyone was shouting, Do the do the thing about ducks or yeah, do, it yeah, was yeah. it was absolutely atrocious. It's like That's And he was he was you know, he was obviously on the on the on the decline and he you know, he wasn't taking it well. It's like, you know, comedians don't want to be shouted what jokes you want yeah, them to yeah, do. Yeah, like that was, fuck off. This isn't you know, like this isn't karaoke asshole, like That was uh yeah, I think No, here you go. You you can have the bottle opener. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think it was yeah, seeing Louis Black live the night of the second W inauguration. Mm -hmm. I think it was either that day or the day after. But he he was at the Crystal Ballroom and I'm like, oh, so that's what a mook is. A mook or a mook is the guys who yell shit from the audience to at the at the uh, <laughs> you know not hecklers because mooks are um, are you know trying to engage are trying to like positively engage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're like whoopers. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I actually, I hate whoopers. I, I think I hate hecklers more. But fuck, I hate. Anyway, let's well, talk about important shit.